that it doesn't mean to wear the cross or to make the cross sign with your, your fingers or your hands. Um, but rather, there is a definite meaning uh, associated with bearing the cross of Jesus. It definitely means a very intense, strong commitment. Let him deny himself, Matthew 16, 24, take a cross and, and follow me. Strong, intense commitment. And oftentimes it also means that you're going to be called upon to do things that you didn't expect you would have to do. But you do them anyway because you love Jesus so much, just that much. Also it will mean that we will sometimes have to endure some taunting. We'll have to endure some ridicule because of our our faith in Christ. And it certainly means, just like Mary, the mother of Jesus, illustrates for us, it means we're going to stick with Christ no matter what, no matter what the cost might be to us uh, personally. So right there where we made the point that sometimes we're called upon to do things that we didn't expect to have to do, that involves um, a man by the name of Simon. So start with me here, John 19. Let's turn to John 19 and just look at a couple of passages uh, together. And just explore, I want to explore Simon and his situation just a little bit more. And then we'll move on to something else. But John 19, again, the scene of the cross. And notice, if you will, verse 17. John 19. Pick up with me, if you will, um, verse, verse 14. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out, notice this, bearing his own cross to the place of a skull. And that is called, in Aramaic, it is called Golgotha. So Jesus is bearing his own cross. And you know the situation here. You know he's going to fall under the weight of this cross. And I picture this um, sort of like a, a, a basketball goal, maybe a wooden pole. Uh, about the size of maybe a basketball goal or, or taller or shorter. But, but um, I try to pick up those things and they're, they're, they're rather heavy. They're heavy. And, um, but Jesus was raised uh, as a carpenter's son, wasn't he? So he's not a sissy. He's, he's, not, um, he's a rugged man. He's, he's accustomed to carrying logs. He's accustomed to building. Uh, his hands would be accustomed to handling rough things. Uh, rough items. Uh, why would he fall under the weight of this cross? I see Jesus growing up as kind of a strong, physically strong person. Why is he? Why is he falling under the weight of this cross? Okay, because of what they had just done to him. They scourged him. They scourged him. The other, the other. Uh, Gospels bring this out, like Mark 15, 15. says they, they scourged him. Okay. Many times the victims would, the criminals would die because of the whippings they got. Okay. 
And so you can imagine that after all night, being up all night and then receiving this scourging and, and the other things they did to him, he was in a very weakened condition. So he would need help to get out to the hill of uh, Calvary. Okay. So now turn back. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, good point. In saying that there's mental stress here also. And he was carrying that with him as well, which also causes the body uh, to be weak as well. There's a great connection between the state of mind and the state of the body. And so um, Jesus would be weak in that way as well. You might remember in Matthew um, 20, um, 26, 36, is Jesus was getting ready to pray in the garden leading up to this. He said, my soul is very sorrowful. Very sorrowful. And that's the idea, right? He's full of distress. The, the weight of carrying the sins of the world, the, the thought of the pain that was waiting for him uh, as he was a person in the flesh. So, uh, we see why he would need help. Uh, with this. So let's turn back to Luke now. Luke uh, 23. Luke 23. And notice in your Bibles in Luke 23 and I think it's about verse uh, 26. Notice Luke 23, 26. As they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind uh, Jesus. So notice, as we made the point, uh, Simon didn't have this on his agenda, agenda. He is from Cyrene. That is in the northern part of Africa. It's quite a trip when you look at the biblical maps. Quite a trip from Cyrene. Uh, if you're looking at your biblical maps, I think uh, most maps would picture Jerusalem being over towards your right. You come down and then go to your left. Right on the coast of the sea, there is Cyrene. And that ends up being northern Africa. Why is he there in Jerusalem? Is he... Um, is he part of the Jewish following? Is he there for Passover? Or is he there on some other sort of business? Whatever it is, uh, evidently the crowd there uh, watching a man dragging his cross out to be crucified. And so Simon stopped by. He was a passerby. He stopped by. And uh, evidently Simon must have looked rugged himself like a man of strength. So they chose him. Seized him. He didn't have any choice. And so he... He um, helped bear the cross of Jesus. Okay? And so definitely unexpected. We, we thought, we find ourselves doing those things. I, I, asked, the, uh, I asked Will's class uh, Sunday afternoon when we got to this part. I said, uh, what are some of your most um, deplorable chores that you have to do? And Will spoke up real fast. He said, washing dishes. Washing dishes. And um, uh, yeah, that... For a, a young man, that is torture. That is torture, which is probably why our parents make us do it. But and we 
And you have a dishwasher. So, so but um, but there are things uh, as as we grow in our Christian faith, there are things that that are there before us that we must do that we never plan uh, to do. That that can range in a variety of of ways. But because things sometimes we are left undone, because those in the church, those in the world are human beings, sometimes there are gaps to be filled, and you see that gap, and and because you love Jesus, uh, you're going to try to fill that gap. When we were, um, Kelly and I just first married, and we were living in the Montgomery area and um, working with a church way out in the country, um, past Wetumpka, a little community called Eclectic, a um, little church there, and there was there were a couple there that kind of took us in, um, the Schumachers, last name Schumachers, and Dorothy Schumacher was was the uh, older lady in the house, and and um, she uh, began to serve another lady who had cancer, and this other lady uh, was very elderly, small little petite lady. And they had worked on, you know, the doctors had done their thing, trying to help this older lady with her cancer. And uh, but it ended up being that um, the, the the lady, she was a widow, she had nobody else. She was sent home, and she basically had a hole in the side of her body, and that hole had to be uh, dressed every day. It had to be looked after. And Dorothy would go over there every day. Dorothy was not trained to do this. She was not. She was not uh, trained at all. Uh, she was retired um, from her work. She was um, she was not in great health herself, but she would go over there every day. And that has stuck in my mind, um, which is a prime example of the kinds of things you're going to do because uh, you want to be of service to someone and, of course, to uh, the Lord. And so here Simon is a seized, and they ask him to do this, or have him to do this, so let's learn a little bit more about Simon. Turn over to Mark 15 now. Mark chapter 15. <clears throat> now we're going to notice a very important passage, verse 21. Mark 15 and 21. Same idea, same situation. They compelled a passerby by the name of Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country... But this, this is added now. He was the father of Alexander and Rufus, and they got him to carry his cross. So I wonder, well, he's got two sons now, or he's got two sons, we learn. And I wonder if his, are his sons with him? Do his sons see him uh, bearing this cross? And also take into consideration that they're going out to a place. Now, over in John uh, 19, remember, it's a place called the place of a skull. I wonder why they called it the place of a skull. Right. So Mike says it looked like one. Right. And some, if you read some uh, commentaries or dictionaries, they'll say the landscape there at Mount Calvary outside of Jerusalem kind of was the shape of a cross or shape of a skull. But I don't really see it that way. I, what, how do you see it? Yeah. Yeah, place of death. And what did they do with these crucified victims after they died? They didn't have any respect for them. They, they, they created these mass graves around that crucifixion area, most likely. 
Okay. Or sometimes the bodies would just decompose and just fall off the, the, the cross. Okay. So I think you would just picture just literal skulls uh, being on the ground as you walk toward uh, that place. And so it's, it's a deplorable place. And so I, Simon went there. And I wonder if his sons went there as well. But this was a big event. The reason we want to put these passages together, this evidently became a big event in this family's life. Okay. Uh, it is most likely that this event led, them, led this family to become Christians. And so, how do we know that? Well, you probably have it marked in your Bible. Look over to Romans 16. Romans 16. Notice what Paul says, Romans 16 and 13. Romans 16 and 13. Paul is greeting a lot of different folks. He says, greet uh, Rufus, who is chosen in the Lord, and also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. And so the most likely scenario is this is the same Rufus as was just mentioned as the son of Simon of Cyrene over there in Mark 15. And if that is the case, then we see that this whole family, because Rufus has become a Christian, his mother has served Paul well, has become like a mother uh, to Paul as well. And so the family had become very dear to Paul, been very great support in his work uh, in preaching and teaching and so you kind of see this develop as an interesting uh, story that came, that most likely came because of this event at the cross. And sometimes um, events in life have a way to either making us or breaking us. And this one really seemingly, of course, you put these things together, it seems like this was a huge positive event uh, in the in the life of Simon and his family. Do notice this idea. Notice this. That to learn all about Simon, we had to put different passages together. And that's the way that God wants us to do with his word. He wants, you know, when Jesus uh, promised the apostles that the Holy Spirit would come upon them, John 16, 13, he said he would guide you into all the truth. All of it. So all of what it's said in the New Testament is, uh, sum- summary-wise, makes up the truth. So we need to put these things together, not just in regard to these little storylines, but also in regard to all the doctrinal matters of worship and plan of salvation and, and the character that we have, we'll have for, to God, for God and all the things associated with the church. And so notice this. It could be, that Simon's life was dramatically changed uh, just because he was in the midst of a crowd. He was a passerby. He was coming in from the country, and the soldiers just happened to pick him and say, you, you help get this cross out to this place called Golgotha. And so there you go. In Matthew 13, turn over there with me uh, for just a moment and notice what Jesus had predicted about these things. Matthew 13 Jesus is talking about his coming kingdom and how things would proceed in his uh, kingdom. He said, uh, Matthew 13, 
44, beginning Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding the one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and, and bought it. Now, both of these men in these uh, little scenarios, uh, they both found the kingdom. Well, they found what they were, what uh, they found something very great. One just happened to discover it, and the other was searching for it. And either way, it happens. We're just thankful that it happens. Sometimes people stumble on the gospel. Sometimes people are searching for the truth. And as long as, as long as both scenarios, both types of individuals, as long as they find the truth, as long as they find salvation in Christ, but this is kind of how life happens. Sometimes it happens both that way. Sometimes you're searching, oftentimes you're searching one topic in the Bible. Has this ever happened to you? You'll be searching one topic in the Bible, and you'll stumble on something, another truth that you had studied before, but you didn't plan to find this truth about another topic. and It's just the wondrous mystery and treasures of the Word of God. And so it seems like Simon might be this individual who just happened to stumble upon Christ and what was going on with him, and that that made a great impact in his life. And it seems to point out that he was just a passerby. You know, that, that he didn't have they the... They compelled him to do it. He didn't volunteer to do it. Right. They compelled him to do it. Uh, he, he didn't come... He wasn't there to to uh, assist in the crucifixion of Jesus. That's right. And, and, and likely did not have a very high opinion of the man whose cross he was forced to carry if he was not familiar with Jesus and his work to start with. Being where he was from, he was probably not familiar. And as far as he was concerned, he was totally yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, Aaron's saying most likely that he was just toting a cross for a convict, a criminal, and uh, he may have thought this is a complete waste of why, why am I being dragged into this? But nonetheless, evidently, it turned out to be a great, great event in life. And um, so I thought that was worth exploring a little bit further, perhaps. I know. We've shared that before, but it's also good to make sure we, we review these things. Yeah, what he saw. What he saw. Being at that cross, you know, the centurion said what? Surely this was the Son of God. But being at that cross, um, watching the devotion of Jesus' mother, and then hearing what Jesus said from the cross, He's quoting scripture there, having the presence of mind to reach out to people, even though even though he's right there on the cross, uh, would be a great impact upon a person's life. Not to mention the total eclipse. Yeah, the darkness. The, right. the, the, the graves. Something's up. That's right. That's right. Good, good point. A technical point would be the Bible never told us that Jesus failed at anything or that he failed beneath the cross. So 
However, the soldiers wanted to make sure Jesus made it to the Golgotha to be crucified as they saw his weakened condition. That's when they grabbed him. But it nowhere says in the Bible anywhere, or even in the Greek, to say that Jesus fell. Okay. So you're talking about the song which says, The cross became so heavy I fell beneath the cross. He never fell. But they see his weakened condition. That's going to make sure he died on the cross. Fulfill scripture. I wouldn't be surprised that he would be so weak that he just obviously couldn't move the cross for very, very, very far. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's supposed to teach us a little bit more about, too, that the physical aspect, yes, it was terrible, but the physical aspect of bearing the cross is not what mattered then, it's not what matters now. It's about doing what God wants, and that's what Christ did. Mm-hmm. He bore the cross, but it wasn't that wooden cross that he was told it was our sins. Yeah. That was the yeah. yeah. And it's always good to think about how the People often say this, but you know, the nails is not what kept Christ on that cross. He, he had the power to come off that cross. Good thought. He was bearing the sins of the world. All right. One other question I want to explore with you uh, this evening is from Genesis chapter 50. So if you'll jump back there and a little start with something here, start a little exercise with you and then finish it up later probably. Uh, Genesis 50, you remember this is kind of the concluding drama, concluding uh, incredible story of Joseph. And uh, now Jacob, after he has come to uh, Egypt because of the famine, they had to talk Jacob into it, finally persuading him to come. He got to see his son uh, Joseph alive. Got to be with him. Many, many great points in that story. Uh, but now Jacob has passed and, and Joseph is, is getting older and his brothers are worried uh, that now that the father has died that maybe this will be when Joseph will take his vengeance out on them. So notice in Genesis 50 beginning in verse 15. Genesis 50 beginning in verse 15, When Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. Notice the human conscience there. Now they, they're still remembering that. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. Now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And when Joseph heard them say this, he wept as they spoke to him. In other words, Jacob had told these brothers that um, you need to go to Joseph and and ask for forgiveness. So his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about the many people uh, to be saved, to be kept alive as they are uh, today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. The, The question there, am I in the place of God? Why does Joseph say that? Am I in the place of God? 
that Joseph is not, is not going to exact justice. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's not talking. Yeah, Ken's saying it's not talking about a physical place where he's standing. But he's talking about his place. His heart is with God. Is that, is that what you're saying? His heart is with God. All right. Um, and he is indicating here that uh, well, maybe several things. He's indicating that how could he do otherwise than to forgive his brothers? Um, because this had been clearly shown to him that this was, this was the whole plan of God. God had orchestrated this, Joseph getting to Egypt in the way that he did, and, becoming, and coming to the power uh, position that he did. This had all been orchestrated by God, and so Joseph is saying, uh, what else would I do? Uh, because um, this is of God. I'm certainly going to, to receive you. I'm going to keep you here. And so, uh, it's interesting that if, even for us, if we are not willing to forgive, if we are not willing to let go of any trans, uh, transgression or any uh, conflict or bitterness in our heart, then in a sense, we also are in the place of God. We're trying to take the place of God. I say that because God commands us to forgive each other. To be tender-hearted, Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. To be tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Even as Christ, even as God in Christ forgave us. Isn't that what Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 says? So if we're not willing to forgive, just like Joseph is saying here, he's saying, I can't do it otherwise. This is of God. So us today, different circumstances than Joseph, but still, it is of God that we forgive. And it is of God that we do not retaliate. Right? That's what they're afraid of here. They're saying, is he going to try to pay us back? Isn't that what they said here uh, in verse 15? He's, he's going to pay us back for all the evil. Now that the father has passed on, they were afraid that Joseph would, would uh, seize the power that he had there in Egypt and, and be rough with the brothers. But that wasn't on Joseph's mind whatsoever. Turn over to Romans uh, 12. We looked at this passage in our men's class Monday uh, as we were talking about peace. It ties in so much with our, um, our loving each other, our being at peace with each other, the heart that we are to have. How do you create that heart like Joseph had, like Christ had? How do you create that heart? Part of it is you realize you are not in the place of God. And you'll see this come out even plainer here in Romans uh, 12. Romans 12. And uh, let's start in verse 17. Who'd like to read Romans 12, 17 all the way down through 21? Romans 12, 17 to 21. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, 
feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So is it our place to try to retaliate? Ever? Do you ever hear somebody say they're going to get somebody back? You've heard people say, I'm going yeah. to get him back. Yeah. I'm going to heap the coals of fire on him. <laughs> okay. That's not what that says, That's is it? <laughs> okay. All right. So, funny how we end up reading the Bible. But, no, that's not what it's saying at all. Um, and there are some ways in which we will try to take the place of God. If, if we're not forgiving, totally loving, forgiving of each other, then that's us taking the place of God. If we try to retaliate and, and go get out of our place and take vengeance ourselves and get someone back, then... Um, we're stepping in God's shoes. What we're doing. Could you comment on verse 18? Yep. If at all possible, is that what it says? Yes. Depends on you. Live peaceably with all. Okay. What's it saying about if it is possible? Okay. What comes to my mind, and, and the rest of you guys, please uh, feel free to uh, comment. Uh, what it says to my mind is if there are things that um, have occurred between you and someone in the past and because of your growing knowledge in Christ and the scriptures you realize that you should have made a better effort in times past uh, then you try to seek that out try to seek that out and make it right uh, as, as much as possible now, a person that you're thinking about of your past may have, may have passed on and so you can't you can't do anything about that, or it may be that person would not would not be willing to listen to you, okay, or uh, just may be out of reach for you somewhere another, and then that you just pray to God about that, let God take care of that. But as much as is possible, you, know, you may think about the fact that you, in your younger years uh, you weren't thinking about being evangelistic, and you think, man, I had all those, all those opportunities, and what was I doing? You know? And so you might, if possible, you might want to go back to some of those associates and, or write to them or find them on Facebook, you know, whatever you can do to try to make that right. Now, that's, that's kind of where my mind goes. What, what, what do you guys think? I would say we all probably know someone who just likes to keep a cloud of controversy stirred up. We probably all know someone like that. Maybe multiple someone. And what he's, I think what he's saying there, as much as it depends on you, for your part, you be peaceable. There's going to be those people in the world that thrive on conflict. You have to be peaceable on your end. What they're doing is on them. Leave the rest to God. Okay. As much as possible, stay away from them if you can. Limit your association with those people. Because that part depends on you. You can't control them. All you can control is you and your response to it. And you need to be peaceable for all men. Yeah, very, very good. Uh, Aaron is saying that there are some that just live for controversy, that they make a life out of it, and um, they're not going to change. But don't let them drag you into that. You, you 
you can't change other people, but you can, you, you know, we can have self-control. We can be the person God wants us to be and, and hope that that example will help that person that, who lives for controversy or help anyone else. Learn to be the person that always sees the glass as half full, not the person that sees it as half empty. See the, see the glass half full, in saying not, not half empty. Okay. There's some people you can't change. You know, they just mean or they just sinful and they ain't going Right, right. Some, some will just not change, and that's the way of the world. But uh, we must be who we need to be, regardless of what others are doing. Kind of reminds you of what Joshua said one time: "As, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord." Uh, if you want to go and serve the gods of our fathers, you know Joshua twenty-four fifteen, then you do. That's your choice, but. As far as me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So notice here that if we go in the direction of being vengeful or being um, unwilling to forgive, then we're stepping in the shoes of God because we're, we're not willing to give those things over uh, to the Lord. There are other ways we can step in the place of God. And I just want to explore that with you just for a minute or two. Um, it's not our job to grow the church. You agree or disagree? Agree. Agree? agree. And sometimes in our excitement, we, we say, well, let's, let's grow this church. You know, but um, that's God's sight. You know, that, that comes from a familiar passage in 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 9, right? Where it said, Paul said, uh, I planted and what did Apollos do? He watered. And God gave the increase. I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. And we need to stay on our side of things. We're not, we're not divine in that sense. We're, we, God has his part, we have our part. We sow the seed, we water it, we give it our best, and we're diligent about it, and we're faithful to it. Um, but then... God gives increase. We need to stay, stay in our place in that regard. Going on with that analogy, it means that we have to stay in the garden, though. Stay in the garden. Yeah. We've got to tend to the garden. We've got to tend to the garden. Stay in the garden. the garden. Don't leave the garden. We can't sow seed. Right. We're not in the garden. We're not in the vineyard. We're not planting seeds. We're not. We're not doing our work. And uh, that's where God wants us. Where he wants us. We've got to plant the right seed, and then he will give the increase. Very good. Let me see. I'll step off into something here and see how much time we've got. Now, I've seen some titles of articles the last couple of weeks. This situation of the virus, and um, one said, um, one title was, "God is shouting, are you listening?" And you look, you click on it, and sure enough, they're talking about the virus. God is shouting to you, are you listening? Another one said, the title was, "This is the finger of God." Clicked on that, yep. 
I thought he was. He was talking about the virus situation. I think that is uh, doing what we're talking about here. That's, that's stepping in the shoes of God and you don't have the authority uh, to do that. Now, what they will soon point out is that God has brought calamities on nations in the past. And he did. The plagues upon Egypt, right? Um, there was a warning from Jonah's uh, preaching that there was uh, judgment coming on uh, the Ninevites. And they, they repented. And we can give several examples. Of, you know, in Noah's day, God brought the flood. Uh, but it's a big jump to me. You guys can disagree, but it's a huge jump for me, to me, in my opinion. Just because God did that then, then to quickly say that he, that's what he's doing now. I don't think, I don't think you can do that with uh, Scripture at all. I don't think you can, you can do that. We have God's word on what he has done in the past, but we do not have God's word on, on what's happening today. So what do you what do y'all think? I, I think you're stepping. I think you're presuming something. You're talking in the place of God there. Now I'll tell you why. Romans 11. Run over if you don't mind to Romans 11. Andrew, read for us uh, verse 33. Well, do, do 33 through 35. Well, just do 33 to 36. Just all good. Romans 11. appreciate that. Notice Paul's words there. His ways are past finding out. We can understand scripture. But what God is doing behind the scenes, you know, that's his place. And we don't have, we don't have any right to speak for him. In, in this way I approach this, um, in anything like this. You know, oftentimes, you know, when anything happens, somebody says quickly to say, uh, you know, well, God's, God's trying to teach us to appreciate uh, things that we haven't appreciated before, or God's trying to teach us a lesson with this. But I think we need to slow down and be careful uh, um, about what, how we explain things uh, to people. Uh, yes, God can help us grow in any situation. He can help us grow in our in our knowledge, in our strength, grace, faith. Uh, but that's a different thing saying that this is an act of God uh, that's happening here. His ways are higher than Yeah. Uh, Mark mentions uh, Isaiah 55, 8 through 11. God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Right. When uh, over in Philemon, 
when Paul was trying to get um, Philemon to uh, receive the runaway uh, slave Onesimus back, uh, he appeals to something. I don't want to just reference it. I want to know exactly what it says. Philemon is right before Hebrews, in case you're wondering. Um, he says, um, he gives several reasons. Uh, he says, you know, I, I have begotten uh, Onesimus in my bonds. In other words, Onesimus had run into Paul uh, somehow in Rome. He'd converted him by teaching him the gospel. Um, then he says this, verse 15. He says, For perhaps this is why he parted from you for a season, that you might receive him back forever. But notice how careful Paul was there. He said, perhaps. Perhaps. Paul would not go so far as to say, yeah, uh, God caused this to happen. No, he's just simply saying God can bring something good uh, out of any situation. But it's a far cry from saying God caused it to happen. We need to stay out of the place of God. And there are several ways we can explore this. Uh, but let God do His work. And ours is to trust and obey. He's given us the scriptures. He's given us opportunity. And we need to trust and obey no matter what is happening around us. Um, just for your further study, um, we're, we'll, quit, we'll quit. But you know, over in, in 3 John, it mentions... Um, a man who was trying to take the place of God. Remember his name? Diotrephes. Diotrephes. And so he was even going so far as trying to tell people, yeah, you can come to church, but you know, not you, but you, but not you. I mean, he had really gotten uh, into himself. And so um, he's definitely stepping in the place of God. So appreciate you exploring these two uh, big ideas with me. First, Simon of Cyrene. And then secondly, Joseph's question, am I in the place of God?